last but not least of the fruits of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians is self-control. A pivotal verse on that subject, written ironically by Solomon, you'll see why ironically later on, is in Proverbs 25 and 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The reason being, of course, that if the city has no walls, it has no defense. And the enemy just strolls in when he likes and makes havoc. That's true also of the life without self-control. You can't knock the walls of a city down in a moment of time, but our self-control can, if we're not careful, be eroded over time, little bit by little bit by little bit. Sometimes we have examples where there's a momentary, unexpected lapse and cat catastrophic for the person concerned. Self-control seems to just have vanished out of the window. I want to look at four lives from Scripture. And the first is Moses. Moses was monumentally one of the greatest leaders that's ever graced the human stage. We're told that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And yet you probably know the story. The occasion came, he saw red, he flew off the handle, he blew a gasket. God had said, speak to the rock, it'll bring forth water. But he was enraged by the people and their complaining. He shouted at the people. He struck the rock with his rod. He didn't just lose his temper on that occasion. He lost his lifelong ambition, the completion of his mission. He forfeited his destiny. He was disqualified from leading the people of God into the land of promise. If we know his history, we're not totally surprised. There was another occasion many years before when the red mist descended and whether with his own bare hands, punching or throttling, or with a rod in his hand, beating, he left an Egyptian, a corpse, in the sand. Again, he lacked the self-control he needed. Think not of perhaps one of the greatest leaders we read about in Scripture, but arguably the strongest man, Samson, endued by the strength of God, the Philistines melted before him, and the, the accounts of his powers of strength were epic, almost unbelievable. And yet when he's confronted with the lure of a Philistine woman called Delilah, and confronted with the need to control his own lust for that woman, he failed. He lost, he lost his sight, he lost his liberty, and he lost his life. We find him blinded, bound, grinding corn like a beast of burden before he's dead. And the reason for all his strength, he could not say no to himself. 
Think of the greatest king of Israel, that was David. He chose the luxury of disregarding and disobeying God in one area of his life. The word of God, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17, says, my king shall not multitude, not a, not a mass, a multitude of wives for himself. But David ignored that. And for his own pleasure, and maybe for his prestige to be like kings around him, he just took attractive women, the ones he liked the look of, made them his wife, another wife perhaps, or made them a member of his harem. And he probably had so many women that he couldn't even remember their names, let alone their birthdays. So the walls of defense were being eroded and eroded, and we're not surprised. The enemy picks his moment, bides his time, waits some time till a man is of maximum importance before he brings him down to cause as much collateral damage as possible. It was a foregone conclusion. David, at a time when kings are normally leading their troops in battle, was loitering in the palace. He'd have been far safer on the battle line and he sees this beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. The rest is history. Because of Bathsheba, David suffered deep disgrace for himself, desperate, desperate disaster for his family, and much damage and despite for his whole nation because he lacked self-control. Then think of his son, Solomon. Sadly, it can be like father, like son, and sons follow the example of their fathers. Now, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, arguably with the wisdom that God granted to him, and he inherited the kingdom when it was at its zenith. We read in scripture that the people in the nation and the wisdom of Solomon were both like the sand on the seashore, just so many you couldn't even count. But he had a propensity towards foreign wives. And we read, we would have hardly believed it unless it was in scripture. He ended up having 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. They led him astray and his wisdom Rather like the tide will just wash away the sandcastle the child has made on the beach, so his arrant folly and his utter stupidity washed away all that wisdom. And the legacy to his nation after he died, it disintegrated and ended up as two nations instead of one. These are people who, whether gradually or suddenly, over a period of time, lost their self-control. Come now into the history books. Alexander the Great, he deserved that appellation. He was invincible. He captured and not only conquered, but subdued and governed much of his known world at the time. He raised for the great Greek empire of his day. But he could govern many, many peoples in many different lands but the one he couldn't govern, you've guessed it, was himself. He bemoaned that fact to the day he died. On one occasion, a dear friend of him annoyed him by something he was saying, and the emperor grabbed a spear from a nearby soldier 
and plunged it through the heart of his dear friend. Deep, deep remorse until the end of his life, until the day he died. So what about ourselves? A mark out of 10 for our own self-mastery, our own self-control. Maybe if we lack self-control, hopefully it won't lead us to shipwrecking our lives, but it will certainly mar and scar our lives in different ways. Perhaps we should be honest with ourselves, not making excuses or making allowances, not saying, well, it runs in the family or I've got red hair. We should ask ourselves, how effective and good are we at saying no? Are we good at saying no to overeating, eating the wrong foods, drinking too much alcohol, spending money unnecessarily? Are we good at saying no to procrastinating, always finding the easier task and putting off the harder one? Are we guilty of idleness? Are we guilty of time wasting? Or are we in control of those areas of our life? Do we have a short fuse? What happens when people annoy us? Do we say hurtful words, the words of our mouth, just somehow spurt out and we don't control them? Do we really have control over our tongue? Or do we find very often that words which we have said we wish we hadn't and we can't unsay those words? We need to realize that every time we lose it, every time we lack self-control, makes it more likely we'll do it again the next time. We'll find that sometimes we could just confine those lapses to our own home and the privacy of our own life, but then they'll be so uncontrolled, they'll be obvious even in the public arena. I think we need to understand too that two of the fruits of the Spirit, patience and self-control, are strengthened when we use them like a muscle. The more we use a muscle, the stronger it becomes. And God will put us into situations where we have to use patience with his help and self-control in order that both those virtues will be strengthened. So let's ask ourselves again, are we in control of our thought life? Have we learned to win the battle of the mind and take every thought into captivity? Do we know when the thought has a big N over it? Usually doubt, fear, self-belittling. Those thoughts come from the enemy. And do we send them back from where they came? What about our impure thoughts? Do we have the power, the control to deal with those? Yes, hopefully we don't watch or listen to or view things which will inflame those thoughts. But when they do come, do we eject them? or do we just allow ourselves to entertain them and enjoy them? Now, the good news is that the fruit of the Spirit is not accomplished or grown through self-effort. I've got plum trees, apple trees, pear tree in my garden. I've never heard the branches grown trying to produce the fruit. They just have to stay attached to the trunk and the life and the sap of the tree will flow through and produce the fruit. So the question is, if we are not able to produce the fruit of the Spirit by self-effort, it's no use waking up on a Monday morning and gritting my teeth and saying, I'm going to be full of love 
and peace and joy today, it won't work. So how does it come about? It's when our lives are filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. He lives the life of Jesus through us. And as he does so, he reproduces the character of Jesus in us. The closer we are to Jesus, the closer we are or more like his character, the character of Jesus himself. I was a young Christian, very young. I was in the home of a senior missionary, great man of God called Gordon Suckling. And he said to somebody in the room, not to me, he said, you need to realize, young person, that God expects from us nothing but failure. That was one of the most liberating words I'd ever heard. God knows we cannot live the Christian life by our own efforts, but he promises, if we ask, to give us the resources to enable us to do so. He teaches us to live the exchange life, to trade in our weakness for his strength, to trade in our inadequacy for his sufficiency. I was 29 when I found Jesus. The first 29 years of my life were BC. And there was one thing I learned in that period of time was the paucity, the helplessness, the hopelessness, the impotence, the barrenness, the bankruptcy of my willpower. I could not pull myself up by my own bootlaces, even if I wanted to. My willpower, my good intentions, my wishful thinking, my New Year resolutions, they were like candy floss. They were of no value at all. But I came to the realization that it wasn't by my willpower. It was my will harnessed to his power, my willingness being wanting to change, and that was what was going to bring the transformation. And I realized that the key which unlocked the door to victorious Christian living was dependence, clinging tight, leaning hard on Jesus. I realized that every demand, every difficulty, every test, every temptation, every trial, I just needed to turn to him and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And each time he would come through for me. We don't control the circumstances of our lives, but by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can control ourselves. We control our attitude to our circumstances. And it's possible, filled by the Spirit of God, to live a life of self-control. Thank you.